Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Main Menu for the week of January 9th, 2015. My name is Jeff Bishop. During my holiday break near the end of 2014, I had an opportunity to participate on a panel along with J.J. Medoff from AT Guys, Joe Steinkamp, and Jamie Pauls. J.J. Medoff puts together the This Year in Assistive Technology, and he did it again this year in assistive technology for 2014. The way that that worked was each of the panelists got an opportunity to rate a bunch of topics that he gave us, and then he compiled them into the top 10, which then we covered on this content. This originally was brought to you on blindbargains.com, and we want to send a sincere thanks to the team over there for allowing us to produce this content right here on Main Menu. It really is greatly appreciated. So, we're going to start with part one this week, and then we'll step into the next portion of it next week, along with additional content on Main Menu, and then we'll end up with the number one item in the third week to end out the show of this year in Assistive Technology 2014. It will be interesting to see what you guys thought your top ten items might have been. Send us your ideas to mainmenu at acbradio.org main menu at acbradio.org. We would love to know. Without further ado, let's get into this week's content right here on Main Menu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Year in Assistive Technology 2014. I'm Joe Steinkamp, here again to talk about the year's events. We're celebrating a little bit of an anniversary this year, and I think what you will hear from years past will be very interesting in comparison to years present. With me is the man, the voice, the power, the definition of Blind Bargains and AT Guys himself, J.J. Mada. Hello, sir. Happy New Year. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Yeah, I pulled out the 2009 list, and we're going to go over some of that a little bit later. It's a, a little interesting, but of course, the, the stories of this year, they're interesting as well. Uh, some of the similarities and differences. So uh, welcome, uh, Joe. Thank you. Absolutely. And someone who is also no stranger to these lists. Mr. Jeff Bishop of Main Menu. Jeff, how are you doing? And also, Happy New Year to, uh, New Year to you and yours. Well, thank you very, very much, Joe. And, and yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. And then a cohort, a contributor, somebody who knows me probably better than most, and that may be a good thing. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Mr. Jamie Pauls. Hello, Jamie. 
I will say only good things about you, sir, and it's good to be with you on another podcast. So here we go. Uh, and also, Happy New Year to you and yours. Uh, there's good tidings and uh, all of that. Uh, certainly 2014 was interesting for you and I, and I think we'll learn more about that as the show goes forward. But, you know, enough of the preamble. Let's just get what you came here for. We're going to go through the bottom five of the uh, top ten first. And number ten is, well, Something that, Jamie, you and I saw a lot at convention, the Bomb Vori, Vori, hmm, let me try this one more time. Bomb Vario Ultra, yeah. uh, was a braille display that was like constantly clamored over. There was always people at the bomb booth. There were always people asking us questions on Twitter and elsewhere about what we thought of it. When we asked people what we should cover for as convention was concerned, that was a unit that was always being asked about. Jamie, you saw it up close. Um, what did you think about the Bomb Vario Ultra? A great design. It has an excellent feel. I think the thing that really sets it apart is that um, Bomb really has worked to really make sure that it's compatible with lots of different devices. You can connect several devices and switch between them. And so this whole thing of uh, portability and recognizing that the consumer is going to use more than one device is I think what's really going to set these hardware units apart that are, are going to be successful. It's no longer the day of, oh, I'm going to use this product and this product only. It is a an array of devices. And I think Baum has done a great job of taking advantage of that, actually. Well, I had an opportunity to interview them at uh, the ACB convention, and it was marvelous. The The device actually felt like a MacBook. Mm-hmm. It had that feel to it. it. It almost felt like it was developed by Apple. The engineering behind it, the, the, the feel, the, it felt quality when you held it in your hand. And I must say the, the interview that I did was, was very well done. It's uh, about a 40, 45 minute interview, which is normally what we try not to do on the floor. <laughs> it was very, very long, but he, he just didn't want to stop. He just kept going. And, and so, you know, when you have a guy like that, you just let him go. David was uh, pretty amazing. And, you know, if I had the cash, I probably would have picked one of those up if it was available to, to walk away with. You know, you you can tell when a company is excited about their products. And I got the same vibe uh, interviewing David over at, at CSUN this year as that was just coming out. The you know, bomb is really ramping up their game. We, we saw what happened to Hims when they moved into the U.S. Bomb at the beginning of the year opened a U.S. office. And they say, look, we've been around for a long time, but a lot of people here don't really know about us. So we're going to do something to change that. We're going to ramp up our products and their Braille display. For a Braille display to make the list in the first place, I think, is a big feat. But yeah, Jamie definitely explained why you can just flip right between your iOS and your Android or your Mac or your your Windows, whatever you have. And it's finally a Braille display that's modern and that meets the needs of people uh, today. Joe, you had a number two. I did. And it was really because the social media buzz, like Jeff was saying, David was so open. Uh, Amy, a rule has been a big part of that too. In a lot of the places that I went to in my public travels, I was asked a lot about that display. And when I saw them and I, and I saw bomb at several shows this year, uh, CSUN, NFB, AER, Vocational rehab was very interested in this display for the very reason of being able to have multitasking. I think 
What we will see in this particular year, as well as in the future, it's not just one platform. And so just having something that is exclusive to something seems a little antiquated and that if you can have multiple devices connecting to this device, uh, then that's probably something that will be really, really big. And now that they're starting to ship, there was a little delay on those units. Uh, I think you'll even hear more of it. So I, it was high on my list because of the buzz, because of what you were saying about having hardware in the front. But moreover, it really was because it seemed to have captured, other than a couple of things that are later in the countdown, a lot of conversation. Well, what also captured a lot of conversation in 2014 is the fact that, well, Google seemed to be stepping up to the plate. No, I'm not talking about Lollipop and uh, lots of conversations Jay and I have had about what Android does. No, no, no. And what people have forgotten was that Google has brought a lot to the table as far as access is concerned to other platforms, namely NVDA and Firefox. If you use both of those products together, you'll find that there's a lot of things that are starting to really work well in this particular arena as far as Google Docs and the like are concerned. So much so that I convinced Mr. Madaw to come on board a panel that I had at the AT Trainers portion of the National Federation of the Blind Convention in July of this year in Orlando, Florida. Jay, you talked a lot about that back in July, about how it was moving, and you had uh, actually heard a lot of that from February. How do you feel about where it's come in a year on where Google accessibility is going, regardless of mobile operating systems? <laughs> you know, when you first asked me to come on that panel, I was scrambling a bit. You remember that. And like, wait a minute, Google Docs, uh, what's going on? Well, why are we talking about Google Docs? They have a long way to go. But really, when I started looking at it more and also talking to uh, Sean Laureate at the AFB Leadership Conference in New York in February, they really are putting a lot of efforts into Docs for everything that Android isn't at this point. And yes, I know I use Android, but the you know, the progress on Lollipop just really hasn't been what I would uh, really expect. But the Docs team is really working hard. Uh, at that point, it was uh, the desktop version. But of course, in the last couple of weeks, we've had a lot of iOS updates, the Android version as well. And while there are still a few things that need to be uh, worked on, there has been a lot of progress with Docs. Look at uh, the latest version of the iOS app and how it now works uh, with the rotor and this the, the standard editing controls. I know there's still some problems with Braille. Um, but, you know, they are putting a lot of effort into that. Uh, Victor Saren is a huge hire for I them. Mean, he has a lot of experience. I mean. Yes. I mean, look what, you know, that, that's huge. I mean, and you can tell, and, and, there, and I just saw another post. Anyone is looking, uh, now they're looking for some QA people. Google is hiring. Um, if, if you have some experience that they could use, you might want to go talk to them, especially the accessibility people, because they are definitely looking to expand in that front and, you can tell I would add Windowize 9 uh, to the list uh, along with NVDA. Uh, it works, you know, obviously they redid their web support entirely. So Windowize 9 works uh, quite well now with a lot of the Google products. Again, in Firefox, it works better uh, than Internet Explorer. And, you know, it's exciting. It's, it's certainly not perfect, but I'm now to the point where I feel confident editing Google Docs files uh, with other people and might actually start thinking about using that more instead of Dropbox for collaborative uh, documents. Yeah, Google I've, Drive has gotten a lot better. Jeff, you see this in education uh, a yeah, lot. I was just going um, to talk about that. Okay. Um, yeah, th- this is huge. And especially when I saw the iOS updates and that they're using native controls and, you know, making it really work quite well. I was extremely excited about that. And I have been pretty hard on Google in, pa- in the past. 
even at the Google Accessibility Summit that I went to, I was pretty vocal with some of the engineering staff there. And I'm delighted to see the changes coming about. And, you know, we see a lot of blind people on our campus wanting to use Google Docs more because lots of faculty and students are using it. So this is huge. And if they keep progressing like this, it's going to be just wonderful to be able to have this available to them. And the fact that it's cross-platform is really nice as well. In other words, not having to be on Android to get this, you know, great accessibility as well. I'm real happy about it. Jamie, do you think that it's going to be a situation where you're starting to see a power play between Microsoft giving away all their mobile apps practically for free, uh, or in some cases where you have a subscription to Office 365 and then you have some access to these things versus, well, in Android, they're practically shoving slides and drive and everything else down just the same way that iLife is being moved through iOS 8 and on the Mac. It seems like a lot of choice here. So if you're starting out and you're semi-technical, where do you feel like you should go? Do you think Google is one of those things you should learn or is it still an Apple and Microsoft driven world? Well, I think uh, Jeff makes the great point. I think it depends on what people around you are using. If the colleagues that you're with or the students that you're with are using Google Docs, then it would sure be beneficial to be able to use that as well. Uh, if you are in a situation where maybe someone else is using another platform, then that's, you know, all right as well. I think that the more choice we have, the more responsibility we have to advocate for good accessibility and do that in a professional manner and a positive manner, but yet a firm manner. And it's uh, the responsibility of the developers to make sure that things are accessible. It isn't, uh, it isn't going to be as easy as it once was, but I think it's doable. And I think it's a must, honestly. You know, one of the things that I really think that this does is that we, I was in a group uh, last year, a, a working group to uh, produce an event, a weekend event, and they have all their stuff on Google Docs. And at the time I had to be, hey, guys, um, we need to move some of this somewhere else or do it somewhere else because I just the, the accessibility isn't there for me. And as much as, you know, I appreciate that I have to say that we want to make that work. It kind of sucks when you have to say, oh, we can't use this because it doesn't work. And so now, you know, given the same tools now, I'm like, yeah, go ahead. I'll get it on your doc and we'll be just fine. I don't have to you know, worry about trying to change the entire will of the group just for my accessibility needs. Now, the thing I was going to say a second ago was uh, Chromevox didn't come into this conversation. Um, seems that in education, Yay. especially in secondary, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, we 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 have uh, we have OK Google coming to Chromebooks, uh, but I hope that the Victor hire uh, helps in that area because I I really do see Chromebooks and a lot in the wild now, and uh, Chromevox is just not a conversational piece that we get involved with. And I hope that that comes across in this uh, increased accessibility. Does the panel feel any way about Chromevox? I don't care. Well, you have the HP <laughs> well, Stream that. for no. I mean, I mean, I did until you have now. You have the HP Stream yeah. uh, Eleven, for instance, with a hundred ninety nine dollar laptop. Yep. With running Windows 8 and you know reason, decent specs, it's no longer a netbook. It's actually, a, I mean, I would get that at this point. When I was at the Google Accessibility Summit, Chromevox was a very key centerpiece to their presentation and really to what they wanted to accomplish with accessibility. They were driving that as, as a centerpiece. I don't really see that happening now. And I told them that when I was there. I said, you know, you cannot expect people to drive with a steering wheel on the right side of the vehicle when they're used to driving on the you know the left. That's not going to work. Sighted people 
you're not going to do that to sighted people. Don't do that to people who use assistive technology. And that an analogy really got through to some people. And I'm, I'm glad to see that Chromebox like is it. not being, you know, thrown down the throats of, of all of us to be the be all end all answer to accessibility. I really hope that we see this innovation continue with JAWS and, and everybody, you know. Yeah, the $99 Windows tablet does throw a wrench in that hugely. I think that's a very good point. And um, certainly it's really more aimed at kind of stopping the Android flush. And, of course, we still don't know if we're ever going to see that Android-Chrome merger. There's still a lot to be said about Android and Chrome and the rest in 2015, uh, especially when you get to, like, Google numbers or reading numbers. Uh, like, you could read numbers with an eye bill. You know, uh, one of the, the other things going back to convention was that people stood in line not to get their Victor Reader Stream 2, which was on sale, not to meet any number of blind celebrities. No, it was to get their free eye bill. Jeff, were you one of yeah. those people? Free. <laughs> yes, free. I, I was. I was able to get one. And actually, I interviewed uh, the Bureau of Imprinting Engraving, and we had an opportunity to talk with them extensively about this. As we all know, we don't have uh, accessible currency right now. You can't really pick up a dollar bill or a five or a 20 or whatever the case may be and be able to tell the difference. And this is really the stopgap measure that they're using to kind of appease everyone, I think. Lots of people were very upset with them this year at the ACB convention with their lack of response of getting accessible currency out to the marketplace. So they came out with the iBill, and I think everyone pretty much has seen an iBill. And that was their answer, and, and they're they're rolling out now. They're shipping them out now, and call your regional this library. Is government, you know, there, yeah, there's know, a huge. I, I mean, it's it's going to take people like, oh yeah, you can't just change currency, yeah, in six months. And I think some people have a, an expectation that's just, it's not possible. You know, there's there's a whole pattern for when bills get updated and things like that. You just you're not going to update it that quickly. I, I, can, I come up with this from an interesting angle because, uh, as many of you know, AT guys, we sold the iBill. That was really, after MobileSpeak, our first big hardware product. And the year they came out, they just came out right before convention, and we had the line out the door. That's, you know, we, we had a, overnight more of them into the convention. And they sold like hotcakes until Looktel. Oh, and when yeah. Looktel came out, the sales went down by about 90%. Wow, you know, not surprisingly, hundred dollar uh, hardware device uh, at that point. What a two dollar app later right. went up a little more to ten, and a lot of people said, "Why would I buy this hardware device uh, when I have the app?" So interesting that the, I mean, of course, the demand is still there. Of course, free I think changes the conversation again, you know. And you can get them. I I, I put it in for one a couple months ago uh, just because um, why not have another one? And it came. It did have a nice little braille. Uh, documentation sheet in it so that was uh useful for mm-hmm. those uh those those actually didn't come with it when uh we sold them so they've, they've added that and it's the same as the second generation uh model so but interesting to see how this has played out and uh it we're hearing at least five or six years before anything real comes for accessible currency anyway and that might be just one or two bills yeah i yeah, stood in I, line for mine jamie did you I did, and it has not left my pocket since I got it. I I <laughs> really like it. Um, you know, it's interesting because you talk about hardware versus an iPhone app that'll do the same thing. It will, but you gotta stop what you're doing on your phone. You gotta make sure the yep. lighting is good. Yep. Yada yada. Um, it's one of those things where maybe the app isn't quite as good as the dedicated piece of hardware. And you had the app, right? Uh, yes, I did. Absolutely, and, and, and used and, it. And make that point. 
because we, we had to make that sales pitch yeah. when the app came out. And like, look, I I realized the app is decent and it actually isn't bad, but I know what I dealing with currency and of course at a booth selling things we do deal with some currency. Mm-hmm. It's just quicker sometimes to yeah. be able to whip that out of your pocket and, yeah. and do it. And of course it's easy, you know, people sure. don't believe you, but right. when you now you see it that way, you you gotta see what I'm talking about. Yep. Absolutely. Well, well it's consistent too. I mean yes, you know yeah. what you're gonna get when you slide it in, you know? Yeah. It it pretty much works most most of the time. Yeah, it, there are a few false, it's, it's a, false positives. Yes, exactly. I mean, I use mine all the time. Mine sits on my desk. Everyone asks me what it is when they walk in the office. <laughs> <laughs> what is that thing? <laughs> it sits on well, the and, desk. And, and people who are listening to this podcast, uh, people who are, are using the Blind Bargains app, people who are using a mobile device of some kind, that number is high. But when you go to do convention, when you go to do public appearances, when you go to chapter meetings, there is still a very large number of people who are technophobic. And there will be a large number of people who are still going to use this the same way that NLS says that most of their services are still to people using standalone players of some kind, not barred mobile. I, I, I think we have a blind technorati thing sometimes. And only when I go out into public and see and interact with others at lighthouses or what have you, does it kick into me of, wow, there is still a large number of our population who are not very techno aware or they fear. And so those are the people that are going to really hopefully find this as a way to moving forward into using more technology in their lives. Certainly they won't be using QuickBooks maybe uh, because that's a little uh, mm, technical and I hate math. So I actually met somebody from Quicken in 2013, who was explaining to me the long road it took to get to making QuickBooks accessible. And as we look at number seven on our countdown here, this is a big story for Jeff and JJ. Either one of you guys want to talk about why you voted this one into the top 10? Sure. I think for me, and we did a a very extended podcast as he said, I think kind of telling that whole story and had a whole table of people from into it that came on for that podcast. And I I think for me, this is an area that has been largely inaccessible to blind people. Not only is QuickBooks inaccessible as an accounting program, most others were as well. And if you are a small business, you need accounting of some sort. If you want to be an accountant, obviously you need uh, accounting software. So not only does this open up opportunities for small businesses, it also opens up an entire career path for blind people who want to perhaps become uh, financial advisors or accountants or anything related. Now, it's not perfect yet, but I know Intuit's still working on things, uh, both in their desktop product, which is uh uh, you know they've been working on quite a bit, but at the same time, QuickBooks Online, which is their cloud solution, and their mobile apps. Um, Intuit, if you're not aware, also owns TurboTax. They own Mint.com, which is a budgeting uh, website and service. They own quite a few things. So it's another one of those that if the culture keeps expanding company wide, this is huge, and it's not an area that a lot of people might think about at first. But for people who are into these type of fields, this is a, a big thing. You know, there's not really an, a really good accessible checkbook application out there right now. There really is, you know, mainstream. And I know that, uh, you know, Mint has asked for feedback on their apps, on iOS at least. And so I hope people give them that feedback. 
So I'm really hoping that this innovation will trickle down to the consumer markets because this is something that we've needed for a very, very long time. And I'm really excited about it. The The opportunity for, for blind people now has really increased with this innovation. You know, and it's not easy to, to do this. You know, this is one of those, you know, why haven't they done this a long time ago? Well, as they explained, a lot of this, a lot of this code was written in the nineties. Yep. And it, you know, the guts of QuickBooks, if it were, you pretty much have to go in and, and start over. So, I mean, for your company, that's, that was, that's your livelihood. That it does take some investment in time. It's not that they're just trying to, to be mean to the blind people. But definitely give him credit for for coming through with this, and uh, uh, my blind spot as well, who's worked with uh, into it on uh, a lot of the accessibility as well. It's funny you say this. I think of uh, working in vocational rehabilitation. Accountants were always one of the hardest ones that I had to work with um, because of that. And it was really funny that most of the Microsoft presentations that I went to, especially in Windows Vista, there were showings of compatibility you know when they would say well this program works from 3.1 on practically it was always an accounting program whatever they showed they didn't reinvent the wheel the only reason why there were different versions of quickbooks was because the tax laws changed or what have you but the core fundamentals like you were saying code from the 90s was just good so there was always accountants that i would go to work with that had blind people working with them that were using these old accounting softwares. And in a lot of cases, it was just simple text. So it was easy to work with. It was when you were starting out with somebody with a new accounting firm, that's when you would run into problems because they were getting Peachtree, whatever, or this version or that version. It, it is interesting to think of in realms of what businesses can be brought up to speed and how you could do them. Certainly one of the reasons why some people don't enter into business for themselves or trying to work around vocational rehabilitation is the fact that the some of the technology is very costly as far as startups are concerned. And one of those things that you would have to think about is, can I do my job with or without a Braille display or a Braille embosser? That's where our number six story comes in. Jamie, you and Buddy actually know a little bit about this particular story. And why don't you go ahead and tell that story and then I'll follow up here with uh, where it's gone to now. I remember getting an instant message from Buddy Brannon, who said, man, I've kind of got this interview I'd like to do for the Saratog podcast. And of course, my first thought was, um, yeah, that's an interview. I don't have to do. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> as I began to visit with him a little bit, he kept talking about this young man who was developing a Braille printer from uh, using the Lego Mindstorm, which frankly, I'd never heard of, to be honest with you, uh, being the non-programmer, non-techie person in that non-children regard. Non-children having, non-going to the too. Lego store. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Me too. Yeah. But, you know, hey, let's let's check this out. And from that interview from with this very intelligent young man of, I believe he was 12 at the time, and his father and mother, who also appeared on the interview, uh, to Joe, what in the world has become of this, uh, this project? Intel is a uh, startup competition every year, just like many companies where they look for technologies that are up and coming and kind of doing seed round funding. And Intel is now getting behind this project. And in fact, apparently our little 12-year-old who's uh, growing towards 13 has several other inventions in mind. (laughs) So this is turning into something huge with a, a really big backer like Intel. 
that is just, I mean, we always talk about uh, assistive technology and mainstream. This is a perfect situation where we have these kinds of things kind of working towards each other. And what an amazing success story uh, to have that podcast that we heard early in 2014 and Buddy was over the moon and has kept in contact uh, with the young man and uh, really looking forward to seeing where he's going next. But uh, follow Buddy Brandon on Twitter because he talks a lot about this. And uh, uh, if you can, go back to the archives and check out that early interview. It is fascinating. Uh Jeff, JJ, you have any thoughts it's on this? It's interesting story? you mentioned Intel because, of course, we know this is not Intel's first foray into assistive technology, and I'm, that's probably not why they chose this kid. But they have a you know a tiny bit of experience with that ill-fated Intel reader, um, so that that's an interesting connection as well. And um, definitely, uh, I remember just watching the story, um, following it. On, um, he the, the kid was talking on Facebook, and um, you know just watching their replies, um, it was very interesting. So the interesting thing about uh, the young man, whose name is Shubham Banerjee, is he literally was curious about how blind people read. And his father and he were having a discussion, and dad said, hey, um, I don't got time to talk to you about this. Go look it up, as a dad would do to his young son. So <laughs> this young man went to Google, started learning about Braille, and from you know decided, hey, I, I maybe should uh, develop a Braille embosser that's less expensive than – that's why a real typical 12-year-old thought pattern, right? No, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well, kid. Great. You, like you said, Mindstorm and Minecraft. I mean these tools that kids are growing up with today are our old school erector sets or ham radios. And it is fascinating to see what someone can decide uh, to reinvent the wheel. And the price is, is, is estimated to be at $300, which – is very affordable as far as embossing is concerned. And, and certainly we heard stories this year on or off about a very affordable Braille display, which may or may not show up at some point. But this seems a little bit more real. And with Intel behind it, it definitely feels more substantive. Jeff, any thoughts? I just think that the opportunity here is is really interesting. And I'm really happy to see that 12-year-old children are, are getting into this space and uh, I think the future is bright if kids are actually looking at this. You know, <laughs> it, it really excited me to see that. I think that's mainstreaming coming yeah. in, you know, with more kids yeah. being yeah. in the same classrooms with, with other disabled individuals. And uh, you certainly saw that with the four girls from micro, uh, in the Microsoft competition that were making apps for the blind. Uh, they flat out said it was because of their friends. And you see more and more people saying, I want to be able to help my friend. So that's why I developed X, Y, or Z. You look at CSUN and the uh, the Code for a Cause competition that they have every year where they have teams of uh, college students competing to create apps, and those are always interesting to uh, to follow. Uh, by the way, uh, looking at uh, Lego Mindstorms, uh, if, if you are a blind person and you want to play with this stuff, we did an interview in 2013 CSUN with uh, Stephanie Ludi, who created a an accessible interface to some of that, and I believe that's now on GitHub, which is open source. You can go... Download that if you're an uber geek and you want to go play with that. Uh, so that's over on Blind Bargains. We'll link to that. As well as all of the uh, top 10 stories, uh, the, the write-ups that, uh, that we've done, you can go to blindbargains.com and you can uh, see uh, some of the, the written write-ups from us. And um, also um, Alina Roberts, who was on the panel, was not able to, to make it uh, today. She was also uh, uh, voted. She voted this number one, which I so uh, definitely must have touched her as well. Mm-hmm. So. 
Well, that's education and creativity. Yeah. She works with kids all yep. the time. Yep. And uh, she didn't have a J in her name. So, um, <laughs> oh, you know, that was part you. of it. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Couldn't make it. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, Alina. Um, you know, <laughs> love you anyway. Uh, no, really, we do. You know, we talked about things from the past. Jay, you pulled up the uh, 2009 stories. Uh, if people don't recognize that uh, we've been doing this for a while, um, this is more than our fifth year at doing this kind of thing. I was actually at my Ranger Station blog, uh, the rangerstation.blogspot.com. For some reason, I don't know why I haven't updated that thing in a while. So, yeah, go read that. Probably since the last year when you were commenting yeah. on stories, right? Probably. The yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I'll probably put some blurbs up there about my my voting because mine voting was a little different. Uh, but l- let's just go through some of the stories that we thought were huge. In I, th- I totally forgot until I found it. We, we, did, we did a little main menu show that year. Well, we, oh, was that the year? Did. I was trying to decide what year that was. Uh, you, I, Jay, yep, uh, I looked, Rick uh, Harmon. Yep, so you can go in the main menu archives. Yeah, yep, I was still in uh, state service, so I yeah. couldn't out myself back right. then. Yep. Right. But I was still voting. Okay. So yeah, it was a trip. It was. I'll just yeah, I'll go through a couple of these. It's interesting that we actually it ended up being a top eleven because I think someone's votes came at the last minute, so we had to rejigger the list. I think that's about how that worked. It was the first year, you know, yeah, we're learning. But the introduction of the I bill, yeah, was the beginning of that list. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow, wow. two thousand nine. We and we were on the podcast. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen it yet. Now it took them forever <laughs> to come out. Uh, a couple others. One uh, accessible event, which was a Saratech thing. A Raider, which became a ratio. Which, well, humanware doesn't really want to talk about anymore. <laughs> it was a BlackBerry screen reader. Now BlackBerry Correct. just runs it on their own. And that was um, uh, free RFBD memberships, which are no longer free, and they're no longer RFBD. They're Learning Ally. Oh, Learning Alley. Yes, yeah, that. Alley. Yes, the Lewis Braille coin at seven. Windows <laughs> seven released. <laughs> wow, seems I'm still using it. Yeah. And then out of the top five, Amazon Kindle um, first gen. I think it, one of at least two or three different years where we have stories complaining about Amazon not having yeah. things accessible. Yeah, the SMA Hi, is HDX. dead. <laughs> From Saratech. Now this is an interesting foreshadowing story, and maybe that'll um, come up again in a minute. Now this one, remember this: the third-party Braille display driver controversy. Oh, number freedom! Three. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah. I remember writing huge. memos and state government on that. In fact. Yeah, and, and most of the companies, the ones that held out at first, they said they didn't. Want, eventually, they pretty much all gave in. Most of them, did. and the ones <laughs> that didn't, look at what happened to their Braille displays. So, well, uh, the book sense number two. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and it, distributed it, it by pretty, GW Micro at the time. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're right. And, and, you know, of course, that pretty much had its life cycle up to about now. And um, now the, the Blaze EZ is about, you know, replacing that. And number one, it was the inner intro of the iPhone that year. 3GS. Ben mm-hmm. 5, yeah, 3GS. And there was that article in the Braille Monitor that, you know, at first, it, you know, people were talking about oh, that and they ripped it apart. Right. <sighs> Starting a long trail, uh, legacy of uh, articles that bashed Apple before convention and then ended up being the conversation point at convention. Yeah, not like um, 2014 at all. There's no, no trends no, not continuing at all. there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, Curtis, I love you anyway, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think the the Braille coin, Dan Brown, my friend at Humanware, talked about how he wanted to feel it. And what I remember most about that was him giving me this long, long discussion of what it was like to try and get it out of its packaging because it was really in there to stay. And uh, it was like, I wanted to feel it. I bought it. And I wanted to know what it felt like. But it was, you know, really well packaged. And uh, should have given him one of the chocolate Braille coins. Yeah, that's right. That was new. You can feel those. Farms. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you can feel them until they started melting. Melting. Absolutely. Yes. But I think, you know, looking at that list, some of the players are still the same and some of the products are still the same. But definitely you can see how in just five years, the technology that we use has just jumped by light years. Uh, Jamie, Way more that than stands out there? Before that, yeah. Well, I suppose uh, – I mean, the iOS thing because of just the fact that it really has survived the test of time. Um, it wasn't just a fad. It wasn't just a thing that got dropped. It's continuing. And uh, Thank you, continues. California lawsuits. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think yeah. I'm pretty sure iPhone, whatever, new iPhone has been on every list. Something. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and perhaps this year's as well. So, you know. Yeah. But you know what's holding it back is some real lack of innovation in true serious editing. I, I will agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I, you know, that. things like fonts. Yeah, that, 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 and, and, that's what I tell people that uh, I, people will say, hey, can I buy an iPhone to replace my computer? And that's usually what, you know, like you could do some notes. Yeah. You can try Google Docs now and play with yeah. it a bit. But I think if you're trying to do research papers and, you know, long form stuff, then it's getting there. Mostly because I, of, more because of Google than Apple. <laughs> there are people who are being a curmudgeon when it comes to Apple. And, and part of that is a persona that I created, but also part of that is based off of things that I saw in vocational rehabilitation. And in the case of, of, of Apple, some of this accessibility came at the point of a lawsuit. And what I said at the time to people like Brad Hodges and others was that at some point, Apple will be okay. They will feel that they're comfortable. They'll hit this stopping point or not a frozen at least, but it definitely they don't have to go that far out of the marketplace because they own it. And that's what I was afraid of. And I said that back in 2009 when I was still at uh, Division for Blind Services was I was afraid of us becoming a market with Apple because at some point, uh, just about everything with Apple, look at Final Cut. It just gets to a point where they go, okay, that's it. We've got the market. We don't have to do anything. We'll coast. And so when you say things like that, uh, that's where my mind goes is, okay, does Apple even care? And yes, I know Tim Cook earlier this year said um, it's not about the bloody ROI when it comes to making things accessible to the blind. That's a double-edged sword. Yes, that was a great thing that he said. It means he's aware of what voiceover is and he, he knows how important it is. But at the same time, he acknowledges that it takes money and resources. And Apple has been very good at being able to take what they've learned out of accessibility and put that into CarPlay. Or move that over into Hey Siri or other things like that. Certainly, they've invested a lot into it and it's turned into spinoffs. But I do hear some of the people online who occasionally say, well, that's it. Apple hates us, blah, blah, blah. I don't think I'm on that side of the table. But business-wise, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that they don't go crazy into this anymore. And, you know, maybe it'll take – and I'm not being an nfb or here – Maybe it takes another lawsuit to get Apple to react to the market forces that are going on, or maybe it takes more competition. Well, so you mentioned the, the the lawsuits and all that, and there was a, a, quite a bit of discussion uh, this summer over a, an NFB resolution that ended up passing regarding making apps in the iTunes App Store accessible. 
And, uh, you know, there comes a point, okay, where where do we – do we draw a line or do we just keep pushing and keep pushing? And maybe we have to, to at some point, you know, as technologies evolve – Look at the number of Windows apps that aren't accessible. And if you download something, more often than not, it's not accessible, especially more complex things. So, yeah, but the course stuff's there. they have an accessibility there. checker, and it says yes on Fruit Ninja. That's working great. <laughs> right. Because if you fill in, if you fill in needs accessibility or something as your uh, alt text, then yeah, it's going to, or just button. Yeah. I, again, I think that's one of those things where, Steve Jobs hated lawsuits and litigation. And when California universities went after Apple for this, because remember, there was a large portion of time where there was no accessibility in Apple land. Uh, we had outspoken and enlarged. And then when, when OS 10 came around, uh, there was a large four version, no accessibility problem. It's great that that happened. And certainly we all benefit from it. I mean, I use an iDevice every day, but at the same time, every market can grow stale even accessibility as we kind of just went over in this uh, 11 list here. Um, so it's interesting to see what could or could not happen. And I think a lot of people thought that Android would be the catalyst to move things forward. In some ways they have. And in some ways, Apple has actually spirited Android to be better. I love my Galaxy S5 and it rips off a lot of things from the iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is a lot of, of iOS in touch with. And so there is that philosophy. And yeah. Well, there's a philosophy too that, you know, that you see this year, and we'll talk about that in a little bit on our countdown, that you can borrow from the other guy and make something better. One of the key questions that is always asked is, can, you know, an iPhone or an iPad replace a note taker? And right now, I think there's just very few things that need to be addressed for that to happen, but they're very key. And until they do, the answer is still no, that I think a note taker still plays a very vital role for people that want to remain extremely productive in their, you know, workspace, whether they're students or they're working. And Apple really needs to listen to some people in the AT industry who have very solid ideas on how to make that work. And I just don't know if that's going to happen, but they're all just having a discussion with someone on that. Again, I mean, Apple's company-wide philosophy is we don't attend conferences that aren't our conferences. Right. And, I think for some of these specialized things, looking at accessibility, that's a missed opportunity for them. Google is everywhere, and mm-hmm. you know, and, you know whether or not they actually listen. You know, it, it guess it depends on what it is, but you know, they are all over the place, at least trying to take in what you know what their users are doing. And you know, I think Apple could benefit from some of that. Well, I mean, well, we Mac, made simple but, stuff. But MacWorld like, also died this year, so I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of trade shows that are eating it by the wayside. And so that philosophy might be working for them. And certainly not everybody has a retail store outlet chain like Apple. And that's where some of your okay, best Mac ambassadors Mac is a little are. different, though. You need the person that makes your computer <laughs> to be at your own show, yep. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but this comes you know. down to really basic stuff, though. I mean, we need stuff that <laughs> the Britain speak had in the late 80s, hmm. you know, um, for navigation. It's very simple stuff like that that really would not take much for an engineer to develop and put in as a Bluetooth keyboard command or, or you know, a way of, of, of allowing a, you know, Braille display with, with, you know, Braille keyboard input to be able to accomplish those things. But Apple is also a supply and retail slash personnel constraint. That's something that if you listen to MacBreak Weekly on a regular basis or any of the iMore podcasts, 
it's hard to believe that a $200 billion company can be constrained, but they actually are as far as engineers are concerned. And maybe when Apple Spaceship One is up and they have more desk space and <laughs> more engineers, maybe Spaceship maybe that's One. a thing. <laughs> but sometimes they pull those engineers to work on the watch and really? uh, or iCloud. Them. Come on now. Yeah. I mean, we're talking really basic stuff here, though, Joe. I mean, there there is really no reason why we can't have things like paragraph navigation, you know, keystrokes to be able to emulate that, things like that. I'm not talking about the punctuation whole, settings and voiceover. Yeah, I mean, these, yeah, the, these are not rocket science things. They're not that difficult to implement, and they've had five years of innovation now with iOS. I'd like to see it continue to progress and. You know, sure, there's been some small things that have been added, but we need to keep moving forward here. Well, this is going to transition nicely into our number five story, a little foreshadowing. And uh, we'll pick up the top five of 2014 on Blind Bargains Audio. Look back at 2014, the year in AT, right after this. Blind Bargains is your home for the latest assistive technology news and reviews. Visit us at blindbargains.com or follow Blind Bargains on Twitter for the inside scoop. Welcome back, everyone, to This Year in Assistive Technology 2014 on Blind Bargains Radio. Audio. No video yet. Uh, I don't. I think we'd scare too many people. We might make low vision blind and uh, sighted people low vision. It's entirely possible. I am the very definition of I have a face for radio. No, I'm kidding. Um, Joe Steinkamp here with uh, JJ Meadow. Jeff Bishop and Jamie Pauls talking about the top 10 stories of 2014 that you can find over at blindbargains.com. Remember, follow them on Twitter for the latest updates about what's going on there, including number five, iOS 8. We were talking about this before the break, gentlemen. One of the things that I thought was really interesting is I spoke to several note taker vendors at conventions and they had felt like in iOS 7 to iOS 8, they have sold more note takers because of Apple breaking things or people getting disillusioned by Apple in general. And they have seen some uptick in note taker sales as a part of that. What, what do we think about iOS 8, Apple in general during the year? They had some missteps, certainly that, ugh, that press conference in October. Uh, with Stephen Colbert and others for the iPad event was a misstep. I don't know. Do we feel like the iWatch is going to be a misstep? Since the, that the, Chinese the Chinese press conference? Well, that one was good too yeah. in September. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I guess I, I feel like that you just made the point. Apple has had a rough year. I don't know that that's specifically accessibility related, although I think we feel part of that. I, I would point to Braille screen entry which actually works quite well. I, th- I find it needs a bit more work, in my opinion, but I use it a lot. So I, I would point to that as, as a positive thing. I think people are just having a second thought about the hardware issue. Therefore, while hardware was horrible, it was all dead, it should die a quick and painful death. And I think people are maybe having a little buyer's remorse after selling all their note takers and trying full-on mainstream with nothing else my own personal thought there. So the question I think comes out, given the price of note taker at a few grand and the price of an iPhone, a lot of people 
didn't choose the iPhone because it was the better solution. A lot, although some people did. Right. A lot of people just chose it because it was the cheaper solution. That's a good so, point. if you're having your note taker purchased for you, then I do see a lot of people that still get note takers, at least in that sense. And maybe there's that middle ground. You notice how some of the Braille displays now have like some really basic note taker type things, you know, features in them. If you wanted to use them away from your your iOS device, yep. you could still use it to take some basic notes. And then connect it to your your iPhone. So maybe right. m- maybe there's that as well, uh, Jeff. Uh, yeah, you know, I always say it was a disaster for everybody, not just people with yeah. you know with <laughs> disabilities. I mean, really, celebrities um, with iCloud, nothing major. Yeah, it was really bad, really, really bad. Bending uh, phones. I, I, I think that you know I was consulting with uh, Renee from iMore, and that's the point he made. He says, you know, to say that that accessibility is really poor in, in iOS 8 is to say that really iOS is a disaster for, for everyone. I mean, and that's not exactly what he said, but that was sort of what he was inferring was that it's really rocky for everybody and Apple's really aware of it. I think the point that I'd like to make with this, though, is that when there are issues for us, they are substantially different in that, for example, the Bluetooth keyboard issue. Sorry, people can type like a bat out of hell on these things. Yeah. You know, I mean, my son can pick up an iPhone and type 200 words a minute without even batting an eye. It scares me to hear my iPhone just go, <laughs> you know, just, oh, my God. You know, I, I, it shocks me to see it. So this Bluetooth keyboard issue that came out in iOS 8 was really, really important. Unfortunately, we tend to see issues like that. And so for us, the level of urgency goes way up. And I think that's where people tend to get into a frenzy. When things break, it's they not really just break. inconvenience. It's a showstopper. No, right. It's a showstopper because you can no longer be productive on your device in a meeting. That was really important to me. That the really- number of people at the uh, I did was doing training in Austin at the uh, the Blast conference, and the number of people that I talked to that just and part of it was PR the way it got out. But the number of people that had not upgraded because they heard that it was a bad yeah. operating system astounded me. I mean, still, that was a month and a half after, almost two months after the release, and people were still... Well, we're just now getting to 70% by Apple's own numbers if you go by what's in the developer console. Well, it's getting a lot better, but there's still some significant bugs remaining in iOS 8, you know, some Siri bugs that exist and, and things like that. And, oh, my God, the dial pad issue? <laughs> you know, that was that was really bad. You know, yeah. having to turn off your phone to be able to make a you know, to complete a call. That was that was really unfortunate. So I'm hoping Apple learned from this that they received lots and lots of feedback. I really don't want this to sound like a Apple bashing session because I'm it's not. They knew, right? I mean people reported the accessibility bugs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's Well, I think, you know, we're back to, is this Steve Jobs' Apple versus Tim Cook's Apple? And certainly uh, no. you could say that there are some differences in when software was shipped, you know, when something was ready. Um, but that's no different than the rest of the mainstream. Apple's just adopted what others have adopted. I don't think that's it, Joe. I think it's Apple trying to do too much right now. I mean, they have so many things going on right now that I think that they're spread way too thin with engineering talent to be able to make sure that things are robust and solid. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You know, maybe it is from a leadership perspective, but they, they would be killed if they didn't come out with new products, a.k.a. the iWatch. They're also on the one-a-year thing now, the yeah. once-a-year well, I think where, where, where I'm going is a perception issue. Five years ago, Macs don't get viruses. 
and we're talking in the shadow of Apple activating an automatic update feature in order to fix something. Yep. Um, because they felt it was so critical that this thing they had in there for years, they felt like they needed to use it. You have the idea that it always works. That's always what you've considered with Apple. And so there has been this understanding between Apple and its customers, be they sighted, blind, or low vision, or what have you, that when I buy this, this expectation will be X, Y, Z. That was really horrible in September, the number of gaffes, the number of times that Tim Cook had to come out and address people. You know, this is a long way from IntelliGate when Steve Jobs said, you're holding it wrong. This this was a lot of big yeah. things. And I think that kind of, it doesn't waver anything. I don't think people will get changed by the brand. But it does now kind of make you reassess whether you should hit that install button, whereas before it was a no-brainer for a lot of people. Well, I think what it does do, Joe, is make people think about if it repeats, then Apple's going to be in trouble. Because if next year iOS 9 comes out and we see the level of, of issues that we saw in iOS 8, I think there will be some questioning. And the real problem is is that you get hooked into this ecosystem I mean, I myself have spent literally thousands of dollars in apps, you know, <laughs> um, KFB reader didn't, did, you know, help that number <laughs> go up, right? <laughs> right of course. Yeah. But, but, right? but I'm saying, you know, w- which we'll get to later, but right. really it's, it's hard to move now. It's, you know, what, what do you do? And so I don't know. I, I hope that Apple has learned that they need to make sure that they either hire a lot more talent or refocus engineering talent to address a lot of the major bugs. I'm, I'm not saying don't release a product that has bugs in it. That's impossible, but get your core, you know, user interface solid. I think that I don't think that's too much to ask. Maybe it's just the uh, operating system with the number eight in it, as you know, Microsoft might attest. Yeah, but number nine. <laughs> I mean, number nine, and we got the whole Beetle thing. Number nine. The, the, you know, the, I, mean, the, I, I don't know. Well, <laughs> you know. Well, and, and 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 we'll move on from this. But but Jeff, as someone who does administration, what I heard a lot from education this year was note takers don't require me to have to go through the hassle of administrating app privileges, and that's certainly something the the assistive technology companies have seized upon and run with. I think also when you look at this, there's always with our top 10 lists, there's always the, how does it affect me? How does it affect the community? And better yet, what happens in institutions, in mainstream, in corporations? You know, iPads just tend to be what most of the executives use or used in PowerPoint or Mm. in this case, um, (laughs) keynote presentations. Uh, But (laughs) there is a lot of discrepancy between a user, their personal corner case usage, and then a general usage kind of situation. And I think that's some of the things we always have to remember in the community is that, is it an issue that we're facing substantially amongst our community specifically, or is this an overarching situation? And is the focus somewhere else? If the focus is on to gain education and make that uh, purchase of test flight to make testing easier and administration of apps easier, then at that point, we're at the barrel of a gun of enterprise. And enterprise is not something Apple does extremely well. That's why they just entered into that big agreement with IBM. So so Apple's market is changing. Some people are not happy with uh, the changes that were implemented in test flight once Apple got a hold of it. Um, Let me me say this uh, before we move away from this. 
there were lots of innovation in iOS 8 that I think everyone should be very excited about. And we mentioned this before about borrowing from other operating systems. And we saw that happen here where Apple opened up the walled garden a little bit and stole mm-hmm. some key features from Android, which, hey, you know, we're all doing it. You know, we're stealing from each yep. other, and that's perfectly fine Widgets with me. on the notification screen. Widget, widgets and keyboards and, and, you know, these things Apple are Apple Pay. You know, Apple Pay, uh, handoff. That benefited Android users, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So iOS 8's story, while dotted with some some not-so-good things, actually was a very exciting change for all of us. And, you know, I'm really happy with uh, a lot of the changes that are there. So I think while we talked a lot about some of the bad stuff, there's a lot of really good here, too. And the newer stuff, if you're using the A8 chip, that that operating (laughs) system runs even better. Oh, yeah. Either way, it's a story. iPhone's been a story on this list every single year. Is yep. Lollipop on this list? No. No, not this year. <laughs> no? Right. No. Not even in the top 10. So, you know, no. that tells you something no. good or bad. Does no. that mean it sucks? I won't say that as much. I'm just not a huge fan. But but even, even in that regard, let, let me take it from the low vision perspective. Android borrowed a lot from iOS 7 and iOS 8 visually. So in this case, Android borrowed from Apple, especially styles and and black on white uh, instead of uh, the traditional white on black menus. So there were a lot of stylistic changes. So like we were saying earlier in the show, I think you're seeing a homogenization. What I think was new was that we saw Sherlocking of assistive technology this year. If you're an M-Braille user, wow. You Thank know, you, Braille input. No, but some people say that M-Braille still is a lot better than uh, Apple's implementation. And now you have the choice. That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. I just wish M-Braille would go on sale. You know, it's been $30 <laughs> forever. And, you know, and if KNFB Reader can do it, this is yeah. just kind of dated, but, it, you know, they, they went on sale for Christmas. Then, you know, come on, M-Braille guys. Put yourself on sale. <laughs> well... And Apple's great thing is their mystique. This year, we learned more about Apple than ever before. That opening of the of the walled garden, like you were talking about. Certainly, if you followed the Flexi story, wow, did we learn a lot about how Apple yeah. does things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that whole keyboard conversation, and and that's what sparked it was you saying keyboard, Jay, was is something that we also have to recognize. So there were some changes significantly to the platform, and again. This is without even talking about two hardware factors as far as size went. You know, a lot of blind people were not thrilled about losing the 3.5-inch phone and going to a, you know, larger phone. And that's not even the 5.56 plus. I mean, there was a lot to talk about, like, again, with uh, with Apple. And handoff and, and continuity, we're just now starting to find out all the great things about that. Look at uh, yeah. all the great stuff over at AppleVis. Uh, about what's going on with handoff and continuity. And uh, Jeff mentioned Renee Ritchie. Be sure to catch the Tech Doctor podcast. Um, he had a wonderful interview with Renee. And Renee is very much about accessibility of all kinds. So if you're Absolutely. not following iMore, you should. They are very forward-thinking as far as uh, accessibility. This has been another Blind Bargains audio podcast. Visit blindbargains.com for the latest deals, news, and exclusive content. This podcast may not be retransmitted, sold, or reproduced without the express written permission of AT Guys. Copyright 2015.
That brings this edition of Main Menu to a close. Come back next week as we present the next portion of This Year in Assistive Technology 2014. We want to again send a sincere appreciation to the guys at AT Guys, Joe Steinkamp, Jamie Pauls, and others for allowing us to present this content right here on Main Menu. Next week, we'll cover more of the top 10, as well as additional content heard right here on Main Menu. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments about the show, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at mainmenu at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu at acbradio.org. We'll see all of you next week, right here on ACB Radio's Main Menu. Main Menu.